today on Ag News Daily. In particular, we teach them about where their food comes from, and we also try to inspire them to consider a career in agriculture. So it's been quite a journey. I would say the bus has really made um, a, a name for itself here in Australia. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Happy Tech Tuesday here on the Ag News Daily Podcast. Selene Howell joined by Ashton Carr. Ashton, I had to think about what day it was there again because I'm just still all messed up. And I also discovered today, Ashton, that I am sadly starting to become bad at technology. That's okay. I feel like it's going to happen to me one day too. A lot of the newer social media platforms, I don't know how to work a lot. Like I can't make a TikTok even if I wanted to, because I don't know how to do all the cool editing and things of that nature. So I honestly feel like I'm out of the loop as well. I like watching TikTok videos, but yeah, I'm same as you. I think I could figure it out. I just haven't sat down to take the time to even bother figuring out how to make TikToks. And to be honest, I don't know what my TikTok content would be? I don't either. I've made like silly ones that I keep in the drafts with my friends. I don't publish them or anything because I don't want anyone to see me failing miserably at dances or any of the trends on there. So those are for my eyes only. Yeah, I agree. And while we're talking social media, there's big news over the weekend about uh, the new Facebook blah, 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 named Meta, which is, I don't really understand that either, but apparently Facebook is changing its name and the platform is going to change pretty substantially to the point where I do anticipate a lot of folks will not be using Facebook, Ashton. I wonder why Mark Zuckerberg all of a sudden decided that he wanted it to be Meta. I am curious to see what it looks like and if he loses a couple of followers. I say a couple, but I suspect it's going to be more than just a few. (laughs) Well, so I don't know if you're familiar with the Netflix show called Black Mirrors, but there have been some memes out there and I watched the show. So I remember this episode. There were... On the show, a lot of because basically the premise is that each episode is different and kind of looks at, you know, different things that could happen in the future. And one of those was what happens if we see basically social media do what Meta is intended to do. So it was like a lot of people were like, oh, Black Mirrors is already forecasted ahead to see and show what Meta is going to be. So it's kind of weird how that's all come through. I've heard of Black Mirror, although I haven't watched it, but I have seen a couple of different conspiracy type theories about how some episodes of Black Mirror have predicted, you know, what's going on or, you know, it's a just kind of a look into reality, I think, and just kind of a take on what society is like these days. That's at least what I gather. It's definitely, definitely weird. Uh, If you don't like weird shows, probably not for you. The first episode is pretty dang weird, but I think it's kind of cool, kind of weird, kind of freaky to predict, you know, like what technology is going to do or what the future looks like. And it's kind of doing a good job forecasting that. But Ashton, while we're talking about the future, uh, one thing we do know about the future is that there are colder temperatures coming your way, actually. Uh, after Halloween weekend, you know, we really got some cooler temperatures here in the Midwest. It's been pretty chilly this in the mornings when I've been getting up to go to the gym at 5 a.m. I can see my breath. So that's always fun. But uh, it sounds like a cold front is sweeping through the plains and Midwest, of course, over the weekend. And that's going to continue to head south into your neck of the woods. This front is forecast to clear the coast by this weekend. And 
more low temperatures are going to be sweeping through here. Um, some areas in the northern plains have seen mornings as low as in the 10 degrees digits, almost down to single digits. Thankfully, we haven't had that yet, but cold weather is here. I actually have my turtleneck on today, Delaney. It's only like 45 degrees right now, so I might be a little bit over dramatic, but I am excited that it is finally starting to cool off here. But because it is Tech Tuesday, I have a little bit of a tech announcement apart from our Tech Tuesday interview that we'll have here in a moment. But the American Farm Bureau Federation has started a new app or started working towards a new app that is set to launch in the spring of 2022. So kind of just around the corner here, a couple more months until we see this really come to fruition. But the American Farm Trail app is sponsored by Corteva and, of course, created by the foundation, and it allows farmers, ranchers, and farm attraction managers to sign up for free to showcase their agritourism venues. Farms and attractions can create a profile promoting their business, talking about the history, um, available products, and things of that nature. So consumers using the app will be able to connect directly with local farms by searching the area that they're in or you know, traveling to, the type of attraction they're looking for, or products for sales. So I thought this was pretty interesting because it seems like agritourism is starting to kind of kick back up here after the COVID pandemic. And I think that it's becoming increasingly po more popular. I feel like you know, before we were in the pandemic, things of this nature were geared probably more towards, you know, those involved in the ag industry. But it seems like more and more people are wanting to visit those rural areas and really find a little bit more about education and, you know, the, the lifestyle that you and I are already accustomed to, Delaney. Well, Ashton, this is a fun fact that I don't think a lot of people know. Um, I would love to own some sort of agritourism thing someday, whether that's like a pumpkin farm or I don't know. Think of anything fill in the blank. That is like a dream for me. I'm not going to lie. I just think it's interesting. And, and I think that a lot of operations like this are becoming a little bit more creative. I know the vineyards and the wineries around where I'm at, they have grape days where you can go out and actually smash the grapes up with your feet and help harvest the grapes and those kinds of things. So I think that agritourism is, you know, going to a whole nother level here. I think it certainly is as well. And consumers like it. And, you know, that's again, our chance to kind of be a quote unquote advocate for the industry and branch those people that, you know, haven't grown up on a farm, don't have exposure to it, to getting them somewhat acclimated with the agricultural lifestyle. And that's something we're going to be talking about here in an interesting way coming up for our Tech Tuesday interview, folks. This is a really good one. You definitely don't want to miss it. But Ashton, another thing I want to make sure we don't miss here is sharing yesterday's crop harvest or crop progress report, I should say. And the nation's corn crop is about three quarters of the way finished here as of yesterday's report. USDA pegged corn harvest to be at about 74% complete versus a 66% five-year average for this time. So we were definitely ahead of pace there on the corn side of things. On the soybean side of things, we are sitting at about 79% complete versus 81% for our five-year average. So again, kind of right in line there with where we should be for this time of year. And as far as winter wheat plantings go, we are at 87% planted versus 86% planted 
for the five-year average. So right on pace there for those folks putting in their crop. Well, Delaney, I'll add to that just because I am in cotton country because we're looking at 45% harvested for our cotton crops. So folks are really getting in the fields and starting up there. I've seen a couple of harvesters in the field so far, but it looks like Texas is kind of reaching towards the middle here, but I haven't seen too much going on just around the Lubbock area, but I will continue to look out for those people Mm -hmm. just always love driving by the cotton fields and seeing, you know, those people working, but I'm going to move things over here as we are seeing a recall. Some prepackaged dull salad bags are being recalled for a potential health risk of Listeria monocentogens. I hope that I said that right. Obviously I stumbled a little bit there at the end, but either way, we're seeing this recall and the FDA says that there's no illnesses that have been reported and connected to any of the recalled items. But if you're a dull salad kind of person, mm-hmm. which I am, I always liked getting the chopped salads in those bags at the grocery store store, you might want to stay away from them if they're best if used by date is October 25th. So, okay, well, we're past that date. So hopefully nobody's buying those because I just bought a salad kit this morning. And now I'm thinking to myself, Ooh, do I need to throw that out? What date did I say there? I might've had a brain fart. You said, you said October 25th. For some reason in my head, I thought I said August. So it's it's been a day, but yes, <laughs> October 25th. So if you are feeling a little sickly, um, hopefully you'll live and you know work through it. But I, I feel like we see a ton of recalls when it comes to lettuce, salads, those kinds of things. I have an important question to ask you in regards to our lettuce and salads, Ashton. Okay, let's hear it. Do you wash them before you eat them? Not when it comes out of the bag, I don't. I don't I, yeah. <laughs> See, I'm the same way. And maybe I just like to roll the dice here. Blaine is very adamant about washing the salad, which is fine. But here's the thing. When you wash it, unless you have a salad spinner thing, the lettuce is just too soggy. And then I just don't enjoy my salad. <laughs> and, and that kind of makes me laugh that Blaine is the one who wants to do that. Because I feel oh, like yeah. boys are gross. Boys don't care. Oh, we can't have... I mean, the milk expires tomorrow. He's throwing it out today. Like he's very adamant about expiration dates. I, on the other hand, am not like to me, the expiration date is just a suggestion. Like if it smells fine, I'm still probably going to drink the milk. Okay. I'm the same way just because I try not to be wasteful when it comes to those things, but I don't know. Yeah, I, I'm I'm with you there. So I'd be curious to see what our listeners say. This will be a fun Twitter poll, Ash, and we should put up on uh, social media. Find us folks at Ag News Daily. You can share your thoughts on, do you throw things out before expiration date? Maybe we'd have to have a two-part poll. Really, do you throw things out before expiration date? Are you a drink-by date on the milk? And do you wash your salad before you eat it or your produce? We'll have to put up some polls, Ashton. We certainly will, Delaney. But in the meantime, I want to talk here about one more thing. I um, have quite a bit of news to actually share today, but we're both so chatty. So I'm going to try and keep things short here. But we have seen a partnership come from Bayer and CHS as they have announced what they're referring to as a unique agreement that makes Bayer the carbon program partner for CHS. And they're saying it is going to be the most accessible carbon program 
for U.S. farmers. This agreement brings together these two industry leaders to really help farmers participate in and benefit from carbon smart practices. CHS is owned by more than 900 local cooperatives and 75,000 farmers and ranchers across the nation. And so it's really going to get some visibility to the Bayer Carbon Program. And it's accessible already in 17 states. And it will also grow to include Colorado, Montana, Oklahoma, and Texas. So I don't know in terms of accessibility about farmers having access to these kinds of programs, I haven't looked really too much into accessibility, but it sounds like this partnership is really going to grow more visibility to those producers for this carbon program. Absolutely, Ashton. And just another piece of the carbon puzzle here. You know, I was talking to some folks earlier today from the Kansas Feed and Grain Association, and they said that's one that their folks have been watching pretty closely here is what happens on the carbon front. But Ashton, I should have mentioned this news when I was talking about crop progress report earlier, because we've seen a couple of different estimates now released. Next week, we've got the WASDE report, of course. Seeing a couple estimates released here by a couple of different commercial outfits about what they anticipate production numbers to be. Not necessarily on next week's report, but overall what they anticipate corn and soybean yields to come in at. Stonex put out their number today that said they are expecting a record yield for corn at a 177.7, up from the 176.6 bushels per acre we saw last month. On the soybean side of the things, they are expecting to see a 51.9 bushels per acre. And we also saw some numbers put out today by Bar Chart, which are even more aggressive. They said their corn yield was now at a 182.8 after surveying producers and soybeans are at a slightly less aggressive than Stonex number, but a 51.4. So we are, by all accounts here, probably seeing more crop come out of the field because that's kind of what I've been seeing from other analysts as well, is that we are going to see probably better yields than what we originally anticipated to see, which is good for farmers, but not so good when it comes to um, the market dynamics here, trying to chew through that news of a potentially bigger crop. Well, Delaney, speaking of markets there, are you ready to talk numbers? I am. I think I had... One other piece of news here. Yes, I did. Before we chat markets, just a quick update here on trade relationships with the EU. The Biden administration has announced that they will ease tariffs on both steel and aluminum imports from the EU after an agreement was reached on Saturday. So, of course, this these tariffs go back to the Trump era and were in place for quite a few years. But now it sounds like they will be taken off the table and the EU said that in response to that, they will cancel 25% retaliatory tariffs that have hampered a large range of American products. So that's happening on the EU front. Uh, We're still waiting to see if any moves are made on the China front because we have seen those tariffs kept in place on American goods. So not any new updates there, but definitely an update on the EU side of the thing here. So That's just a quick update from the trade floor, if you will. Let's look at the trading floor now, Ashton, to see where markets left us for today. We certainly had some mixed trade today in the grain markets as corn finished lower across the board, soybeans higher. 
December corn down six cents today to close at 573 on the nose. The March down five and three quarter cents and the day at 581 and a quarter. Soybeans today had some green on the screen as the January contract added seven and three quarter cents, closing at 1256 and a quarter. The November up eight and a quarter cent, closing at 1248. Chicago wheat lower today as well with the December contract down five and three quarter cents, closing at 791 and a half. The March still above eight dollars, closing the day at 803 and a half. But down five and a quarter cent on the day. Hopping, hopping over into the livestock markets, I about had the hiccups there, Ash, and that would have been great to read the markets with hiccups. <laughs> we saw some strength today in the cattle complex as the December live cattle contract added a dollar ten, closing at one twenty nine ninety five. The February up a dollar thirty two and a half, closing the day out at one thirty two twenty five. And in feeder cattle, as I mentioned, there we also saw some continued strength. Not quite limit up moves, but pretty darn close in the January contract. Actually, it looks like we did have a limit up move, but across the board saw lots of strength today. January up $4.30, closing at $157.02.5. The March up $3.77.5, closing at $158. Lean hogs had weakness today as we saw the December contract shedding $1.90, closing at $74.25. The February down $1.65, closing at $77.15. And in the dairy parlor today, we saw some weakness as the October contract excuse me, as the November contract shed 35 cents, closing at 1833. The December down 34 cents, closing at 1828. Now, folks, I'm very excited for today's interview. It is an interesting conversation we have about VR technology and its impact on agriculture. Do you know your break-even for every group of cattle on feed? Performance beef users have quick access to real-time accurate data. The technology simplifies feeding to financial data, making it easy to generate real-time closeouts, update rations, or analyze performance trends all in one place. Your feed, financial, and health information are integrated in one easy-to-use platform accessible from your computer, smartphone, or tablet. Find Performance Beef online to learn more and request a demo. Now, it's time for our interview. Well, for today's Tech Tuesday interview, we are talking to Tim Gentle, who is the founder of Farm VR, but he has a couple of other titles under his belt as well, which we might get into here in a second. But Tim, thank you so much for coming on and chatting with us today. My absolute pleasure. So like I said there, Tim, you have a couple of titles under your belt. You're really the founder of Think Digital, the parent company of Farm VR here. So tell us a little bit more about yourself and the projects that you work on. Well, uh, born and raised on a dairy farm, actually, girls. Uh, so got up at 4.30 and, and got the cows into the yard and, and then into the dairy, um, but uh, found a, a passion for IT, uh, blended both of those together. And now I'm heading up a company which delivers immersive technologies for agriculture. So it's been an interesting ride, actually, and uh, saying no to the likes of uh, retail and tourism and sport and focusing down on agriculture, I reckon, is the secret to success. And you grew up in agriculture, so you've kind of gotten to blend your love of videography, along with your love of agriculture, but how did you come to find yourself in VR specifically? Because there's a lot of different technology out there in that space. 
Well, that's right. I mean, I remember for my birthday um, when I was 40, uh, a friend uh, gave me a 360 video camera and said, hey, TG, give this a whirl. And he knew I loved to make movies. And when I got that 360 camera going in the tractor cab and when I got it working in the dairy pit, you know, suddenly I realized this was a, a new way of storytelling. And, you know, the rest is history, really. We're now delivering some amazing sort of immersive storytelling into schools. And uh, before I get into that detail, I've got a quick question for you girls. Um, what would you do if you won a bus? A bus, like a big bus. What what would you do with it, Delaney? Or what would you do with it? So Ashton? are you talking about like a school bus or a Greyhound type of bus? Because I have a perfect gr- answer. I'm talking Greyhound. Okay. So I have seen a lot of people on social media that take these buses and convert them into basically campers or homes to live in. That would be my top thing I would do with a bus. Is the uh, is the spa bath on the roof and the and the and the and the beautiful uh, bed out the back? Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, it's interesting you say that because I asked that question to a lot of people, and in fact, that was a question on Facebook about five years ago, and there was a competition, and the competition said, "What would you do if you won a bus?" And you had to enter in twenty five words or less what you would do with it. Anyway, I ended up saying that I'd converted into a classroom and travel throughout Australia teaching kids about agriculture, mm. and uh, they chose my entry. So I um, won a bus five years ago, a big greyhound bus, and I ripped out all the seats and uh, I put in 20 VR, virtual reality headsets, into the bus, and it's been travelling around to schools ever since, and it's uh, quite an amazing little thing to see this bus going into schools and teaching kids about agriculture. But in particular, we teach them about where their food comes from. And we also try to inspire them to consider a career in agriculture. So it's been quite a journey. I would say the bus has really made um, a name for itself here in Australia. That is quite the story. And it sounds like quite the project as well, kind of doing those renovations there. But along the way, you know, you talk about virtual reality, and that's obviously Farm VR, it's in your name, but you also work with augmented reality. So what's the difference between the two? Yeah, it's a great question. I often get um, asked that question. I mean, virtual reality, you put on a VR headset and you're immersed. You're, you're in the digital world. You can't see the outside world. The big difference between AR and VR is with AR, you're not completely immersed. You can actually see the real world at the same time. So they're almost mm-hmm. like glasses. And as a result, the digital world is blended into our real world. So digital objects like a cow, or a tractor could be inserted into the into the classroom and then the kids can actually walk around and see the cow. So AR is when we can see both, if that helps explain it. It does. And I think it's interesting when you look at those two different types of reality and just I'm sure the ability of showing agriculture and highlighting that system to people of all ages, I'm sure not just kids. But as you look at Australia's makeup, And what you guys are doing there, you know, here in the United States, we say, I don't know, I think it's like we've been four or five generations removed from the farm now. That's loosely right there. But when you look at agriculture in Australia, how far removed are folks from the farm and how important is it to provide elements like this, you know, agriculture in the classroom type of experience for people? 
Yeah, great question. Um, look, Australia is removed from agriculture as much as we are, you know, a great land of agriculture down here. Uh, we're very multicultural. So, you know, we have a lot of migrants that have come in and they don't sort of have a link to the land. So, yes, if you grow up in Australia, you might have some links, but probably two generations in answer to your question. But we're finding that VR and AR is such a great way to engage the younger generation, but also the older generation. I mean, recently I did a virtual reality animal handling tool. So at my university here in Australia, the young vets who are studying to become large animal vets, looking after you know horses and cows and things like that, when they go to uh, the university, they haven't probably been on a farm before or they haven't certainly been in a yard with animals. So we build out a virtual reality experience which teaches them the basics of animal handling. So then when they get out to the real yard, they've sort of got a little bit of an understanding about the pivot points and, and how to move a cow around a yard without getting into any danger. And another one we did the other day was for farmers themselves. So it's not all for young kids. In fact, we, um, uh, we, we were training up egg producers on biosecurity. So we're putting on a headset of a farmer who produces eggs. He goes or she goes to a farm which is a biosecurity farm, and they learn about all the things that they need to do to improve biosecurity on their farm in VR. But uh, I really think AR is where it's all heading. And so we need to keep our eye on the prize. And the big prize is how can we use AR and VR to increase on-farm productivity? Because a lot of the time, really, it gets boxed into training and marketing. But, you know, I've thrown the gauntlet out there to say to my business, come on, guys, we need to work out a way that VR and AR can, uh, can improve on-farm productivity. So I'll break that down a little bit for you and see if it works. So latitude, longitude, we're all, we're all familiar with that, aren't we? Is that correct? Yep. You know, latitude and longitude, your GPS position. You yeah. get them confused sometimes, but I do know what they are, yes. <laughs> yep. So when we go out to a paddock, we have a, a GPS coordinate. You would agree with me on your phone or on, on, a, on a tractor. And so what we want to do is we say, I am standing here. I am in this paddock. I am growing wheat. Tell me about the soil data that is beneath me. Tell me about the growth or the, you know, the feed on offer for my cattle. Tell me about the NDVI data. And so as a result, what we're trying to do now is we're pulling in information that surrounds the farmer to help them understand and make more informed decisions. So we're actually prototyping looking under the soil wearing glasses, almost like Superman would look through a, you know, a wall. So you look into the soil and you see the soil report. You look across the horizon. And you can see the, the data of the growth. And we're even feeding off IOTs now. So how full is the tank? Where are my cattle? These sort of things. Very Iron Man, isn't it? Mm, very interesting. Yeah, it's right out there. I mean, this sort of stuff keeps me awake. But I mean, my, my old man, my, my, my dad, the dairy farmer, he's uh, not overly text, you know, uh, uh, IT literate. So it really is the younger generation or, you know, the, the 20 to 40 year old that's really starting to grab this ag tech and run with it. You would know that. Mm -hmm. Well, even just the ability to use this stuff to train producers on new procedures or how to do things or how to set, you know, infrastructure up in their buildings. I'm sure that the technology here is just unlimited as far as what you can do with it. 
Yeah, that's a great idea. You know, you think of it, if you were building a house and you put on a VR headset and you could actually move the walls, lift the windows, change where you want the, you know, the, the, the bedroom to be and then click save and save that house design. I don't see any reason why you couldn't do that with a farm like you were describing. Yeah, this is where I want to have a channel. This is where I want to have a gate or maybe even prototyping your yards when you're building them. How wide should they be? How big should they be? Imagine pushing them around, then clicking save, printing uh, printing off the drawing and then getting the uh, the yards built. It's really fascinating stuff that you guys are doing at Farm VR, Tim. And you have a couple of different apps that you can even just use on your phone and maybe not have, you know, the the actual headset on, but something that just is at the palm of your hand. So can you just tell us a little bit more about the apps that you guys have? Of course I can. Look, that was because a lot of schools, you know, the, the, the students have got iPads. And so we had to deliver something for them. So Yes, if you searched Farm VR on the App Store or Google Play, you would come across our app. Uh, that has over 150 uh, different experiences, mainly 360 videos. So it's really just a, a way to learn more about a topic. It's not virtual reality where we can pick up things and move it. But we also do have a, a virtual reality app called Farm VR. So for those people that do have, say, a Quest headset or a Vive, some of these higher-end VR headsets, you can actually get in there and you can shear sheep, you can drive tractors, um, you can uh, sort out a chemical shed, and uh, you can actually artificial inseminate a cow as well. So oh. we do have that we do have that tactile one for the higher end people. And finally, look, I think the AR is quite a hit too. So farm AR is where we can beam animals into the classroom, and you can walk around and look at a sheep or look at a cow. Um, but my favourite in farm AR is when you can beam a farm onto the table. So we're using drone 3D imagery. That then becomes almost like a placemat. So you can beam that onto the table and then you can overlay data on top of that. So it's a bit Star Wars-y. It's a bit sort of, you know, holographic sort of effect. But the concept is that when we're all wearing glasses in the future, we'll be able to see our entire farm on the far, on the table in front of us and make decisions before we head out for the day. Mm. That's just amazing what is coming down the pipeline for technology. But as you look at what's coming down the pipeline for you guys, Tim, you obviously are in Australia. Do you have any plans to expand into other countries or industries? Yeah, well, when you Google virtual reality farming and augmented reality farming, we seem to come up first or second in Google. And so we do get lots of inquiries from around the world because of that. Humbly, we are around the world. We were working with Texas A&M for about three years there. I was working with a professor, O.P. McCubbins, and he was brilliant. Um, he's moved on to Mississippi now, so it sounds like that legacy went with him there. Um, but we do uh, work with the UK, South America, um, that's the couple of I can think of off the top of my head. But Farm VR, when I look at the download stats, they seem to get downloaded everywhere. So I'm really, really thrilled that what we're doing here in Australia is having an impact on the world. So, Tim, this is kind of our call to action here, because obviously, you know, we've talked about how you can look up Farm VR on the App Store or Google Play and find you guys there. But where else are you guys at online in terms of social media, maybe throughout your website as well, so people can look into that? Oh, you're very generous. Um, LinkedIn is uh, is a great place. Uh, we're finding we're doing some good business uh, there with that sort of B2B customer. Uh, we've also got farmvr.com and also think.digital. And, you know, uh, just to finish up, you know, with this new name for Facebook, Meta, 
and meta creating like a virtual, you know, representation of the real world. I, where I'm heading is I wonder if there is going to be a farm meta, you know, a digital representation of farms around the world where you can visit them in virtual reality and then interact with the data and interact with the farm. Imagine one day clicking on a gate in virtual reality and the actual gate in the real world opens and then the cattle come up, um, you know, the yard or the, the dairy cows walk up the laneway. You push the, vir- the virtual fence behind them to bring them up. I wouldn't have even had to get up as a kid and gone and get the cows. I would have just wandered over to the dairy. Well, Tim, I wish we had a little bit more time to pick your brain a little bit more because it sounds like you are full of ideas here, but we are out of time for this Tech Tuesday interview. So just want to thank you once more for coming on and chatting with us today. Oh, that's my absolute pleasure. Thanks for wrenching out and, uh, and g'day from down under. again there to Tim for coming on and talking to us. If you didn't get it already, he joined us all the way from Australia. So we were super excited to have him on. And we are always looking to have some good conversations here on the Ag News Daily podcast, whether they're based in the US or abroad. We do have a global audience. So we're always happy to have those conversations. If you're wanting to have conversations with us, you can reach out to us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Ag News Daily. With that, Delaney, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.